0: That's an awesome thing about Jesus being for us. He's not against us. He's for us. He's with us. He's get, he, he cares so deeply about us. And um, this morning, we want to talk about a church that had lost its first love for Christ. And that church is Ephesus. And we're going to be going through the book of uh, Ephesus for the next number of months. Uh, it's a new year. Thought it would be a good idea to start a new sermon series. And so we're going to look at the book of Ephesus. And I believe that Ephesus was a lot like our, our country. Um, there are a lot of hearts that have lost their first love for God and uh, their, their hearts have gone cold. And so we, uh, and the book of Ephesians is is just directed right at that problem. And uh, so we're going to check that out. But let's pray before we start. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that your word would be powerful and it would speak to our hearts. And that we would be changed by the power of your word. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would apply it. I pray that you would allow me to speak your word in power and in truth. uh, So that um, it would uh, cut to our hearts and challenge us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you like uh, Spider-Man? Yeah, woo I hear a few. Okay, so this is about, a, about just over a dozen or so people. And um, so, you know, what's not to like? I mean, a nerdy teen gets bitten by a radioactive spider, becomes super person, you know, able to climb walls, do all kinds of amazing feats, super strong, beats up uh, his uh, enemies, you know. Every teen's, uh, you know desire, you know, oh, if I only had that kind of strength, that bully over there, that wouldn't, wouldn't bother me anymore, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, he didn't become a crime fighter right away. In fact, his first experience with crime, if you remember, he's, uh, he's just walking, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, someone bangs into him and runs past him, and the security guard yells, stop that thief! And Peter Parker just kind of goes like, oh, well, it's not my problem. I'm not going to do anything about it. And, uh, of course, later on that night, his uncle is murdered, right? Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he becomes Spider-Man, chases down the guy who murdered his uncle. And when he, he finally corners him, catches him, he finds out it's the same guy that had, had, he could have stopped but didn't stop. And that kind of changes his whole uh, thinking and he becomes a crime fighter. And, uh, but do you remember... Before, earlier in the day, his uncle is in the car and he says something to Peter Parker that's become a classic line. Okay, who can remember what it is? Yeah. Uh, Of course. Thank you. With great power comes great responsibility. And that's going to be our theme this morning because I believe that that is absolutely true. And, you know, uh, Peter Parker might have been the first per, or Ben might have been the first person to say it. I don't know. But the Bible actually teaches it. As something that we need to live by. Um, one of the first characters that we meet in the Bible who has this idea uh, that we see fairly clearly is Joseph. If you, if you read in Joseph, he's, he's been put in charge of all of Potiphar's house. He has a lot of responsibility. And he uh, is, is uh, uh, in charge. And Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. To come to bed with him, with her. And uh, he, he just doesn't have any part of this, but look at his answer to Potiphar's wife. He says, um, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. In other words, Joseph is saying, I've got all the responsibility here. I've been given all this responsibility, and my master has n- withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife how could i then do such a wicked thing and sin against god you see how joseph is saying i got all this responsibility all this uh responsibility not only to my boss but also to my god and therefore i can't live irresponsibly and uh, jesus taught the same thing that when we get given things we uh, have to take responsibility for the things we've given. You probably remember, he tells, Jesus tells a parable about a, a man who was going off into a far country. And as he went, he called three of his servants. Hey guys, come on over here. I got a, a little thing for you. And he pulls out five bags of gold and he gives, it, gives them all to the first guy. And he says, hey, look, here's uh, five bags of gold. In the, in the King James, it's called talents of gold. And he hands over five bags of gold to the first guy, and then he calls the second guy and he hands over two bags of gold to him, and he calls over a third guy and he hands a bag of gold to him, and uh, he says, "Take care of my money 'm heading off and he heads off on a long journey well, after a long period of time, uh, Jesus says that the the owner of the bags of gold comes back to reckon accounts with his servants, and he calls the three men and before him and he, and he asks them, "Well, how did it go, guys?" And the, the man who had been given five bags of gold, he comes and he said, Master, uh, I've, uh, I took the five gold, bags of gold and I, I gained five bags more. Here you go. And uh, the master says to him, Whoa, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. And uh, and then the next man comes, and he's the man with two bags of gold, and he's earned another two. So he has four bags now, and he brings them to the master, and he says, Master, you gave me two bags of gold? See, I brought two more. And uh, the master says exactly the same thing, you know, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I want to put you in charge of many things. And then finally, the, the last man comes. Now, he just got a bag of gold, and he says... Uh, you know, Master, uh, I knew you were a hard man. and I, I know that you, you sow uh, or you reap where you haven't sown and, and you expect a lot from the land. And, and so I was, I was a, a bit afraid, you gotta, I got to admit, you know. And so I, I just took the bag of gold and I, I dug a hole and hid it securely so that nobody could, look, could, could get into it. And, uh, well, here it is. And the Master responds you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I was a hard man and that I reaped where I didn't sow and that I, I wanted back a lot for, my, for what I invested. You should have taken what I gave you and invested it with the bank and so at least I could get it back with some interest. Take that worthless fellow and throw him out where there's gnashing of teeth and darkness. And Jesus says, so will be in the kingdom of God. Well, what does this parable mean? Basically, this parable means that God doesn't expect the person with two talents to bring back five more, okay? But God does expect the person with, to do something with what God has given them. And could you imagine if the guy with five bags of gold had brought back only five and not done it? I mean, that would have been a terrible investment. And so those who, in fact, the Bible says, those who have been given much, much more will be required. And so I think Jesus would agree with this statement of Peter Parker's or Ben, his uncle, as well. That with great power comes great responsibility. And I believe that in the church today and in our world today, that we have been blessed here in Canada with so much and God has given us teachers and, and, dis, uh, and um, leaders and um, all kinds of people here who've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity and, might I say, the responsibility to use what we've been given. Use the knowledge that God has given us, the, uh, the talents God has given us, the teaching that God has given us to use it to build God's kingdom. <clears throat> <clears throat> and so, when it comes to the book of Ephesians, we also find that Paul has the same kind of idea about um, the responsibility we have with great blessings. And uh, I've changed it a little bit, and I found this little quote on the internet. With great blessings come great responsibility. Not great power, but great blessings. Now, apparently, Cain uh, West... Uh, <laughs> Got it right. You know, he's a rapper, and, and uh, he says something actually that makes sense. <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and that is absolutely true. When we've been blessed with a lot, we have a lot of responsibility. I'm not sure if he uses his responsibility very well, but anyways, lots of uh, controversy around him. But that's a great call. And when we look in the book of Ephesians... It's really cool because the book of Ephesians is kind of... There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians, right? And so the first three chapters are all about the blessings that we have. All about how God has richly blessed us. In fact, he starts the book with talking about us being blessed in the heavenly realms with all kinds of blessings. And for three chapters, he's just spelling out all the blessings. And then he gets to chapter four and he says, Therefore, brothers we have a great responsibility we got to do something with all this and he goes on explaining what that is Uh, sidelo baxter puts it this way the first half of the book is our wealth in christ we're absolutely blessed to be in christ but the second half of the book is our walk with christ and how we live out our faith and you can see the, the, these concepts in just the, the first verses of each, each of these second sections. I mean, the first couple of ver- verses in, of the book are the greeting. But then in verse 3, it says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's an awesome thing. And so that sets him off talking about all the spiritual blessings that we have received and so we're going to be talking about that in the next number of weeks Um, and then in the walk with Christ section section two um, this is how it starts as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received you see you get that picture Um, so as we go through this book I want you to keep this in mind That, you know, for three chapters, we're going to be talking about all the blessings. But don't forget, don't let it slip your mind that in the the last three chapters, we're going to be talking about, okay, therefore, put it to work. And so don't just go like, oh, yeah, it's so great. Blessing. So great a blessing. So great. Well, it's so great a blessing so you can get out there and do something with it, okay? Uh, One of the most important aspects of the Christian faith, uh, and it's kind of unlike other religions, is that in other religions people do religious things to kind of get god's favor you know they might sacrifice something they might do some religious things they might do good works and they might burn incense or whatever they do Um, but it's always to get god's blessing so you know the muslims they'll, they'll pray five times a day they're all these things why to get god's blessing in their life but christianity is very different um What what Jesus did is he took God's manifold blessings and he gave them to us free of charge. He just said, here's all the blessings. Now that doesn't mean that therefore we can just sit back on our couch, kick back and, and just enjoy all the blessings of God. No, those blessings come with this idea that he wants to get back a reward for his investment. And so when God blesses us, um, you know, I, I don't think you could say that it, it's uh, w- with a desire for some kickback, but in some ways you could. God blesses us, and then he expects us to use what we've been given for his kingdom's sake. Um, So this whole idea that there's three chapters worth of blessing and then three chapters worth of work. let me just just explain it uh, maybe in a, in, a, in a farmer's a way a farmer can understand. I know most of you aren't farmers, but I grew up as a farmer and uh, and so um, I remember before my dad got into farming, he had this one quarter acre. Lot and he had a TV store on it and our house on top of the TV store, but it had a, a pretty big backyard. Quarter acre is pretty good size, and so he he was getting into organic farming and and so he built a greenhouse in the back. And one day when I was about eleven years old, he said, "Bill, come on out. We're gonna dig up the garden. We're gonna we're gonna till the garden." So you know we go out to the backyard and he hands me a shovel and he's got a shovel and we start you know, just digging in the dirt, flipping the soil over, much like this poor so- soil out here. And it's hard work, and it's slow, and it, you know, the the end result, see, see the result on the right-hand side versus the left-hand side? Um, yeah, it's more dirty, but it, it doesn't look very good. It's not very nice. And it took a lot of ec- effort. Um, so um, then my dad decided, okay, he wanted to get into organic farming full-time. So he bought a farm, 50 acres, right? And then one day, he says to me, so son, uh, Bill, um, can, uh, can you help me till the soil? We're gonna go out and till the farm. And I'm thinking, you know, like, well, what do you think I was thinking? <laughs> There's a lot of mumbling out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the funny part was, I wasn't mumbling. I wasn't grumbling i was itching to do it and you might be going like what do you mean you were itching to do it well because my dad bought me one of these (laughs) and he had one of these on the back of it next slide a big rototiller so i had a great 12 years old Got brand new $7,000, $7,000 was a lot of money back then, $7,000 tractor. You bought it brand new off the lot, put a brand new big rototiller on the back. And man, it was fun, 12 years old, going up and down the fields with this machine, you know, the seagulls flying around and digging worms as you're rototilling. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, that's the thing. My efforts were slow and left a really poor result. But with the help of the tractor, look at the result. Beautiful tilled soil, nicely ready to plant. It was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, the thing is, if my dad had handed me a shovel and said, okay, go till the 50 acres, <laughs> well, first of all, it wouldn't have been possible, even if I worked day and night, uh, all summer, by the time I got it turned, it would be fall, and you couldn't plant anything. So, you know, uh, it wasn't going to happen. And you know what? As believers, if we think that we're going to get, God, get on God's good side by, by being devoted and, and doing it, you know, uh, ministering for God, oh, think again. That's never going to happen. Because God, called, God says, be perfect as I am perfect. Well, there's no one on earth that could measure up to the perfection of God, but God doesn't do that. God gives a free gift of salvation and says, "If you put my, your faith in me, I will do all the heavy lifting. I will bring about salvation for you." And then God does something really cool. He if if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and accept the fact that his blood on the cross that he shed paid our penalty, and if we accept that by faith, he says that we will be born again. And that means that God will put his ho- Holy Spirit in us. We won't actually go into our mother's womb again, you know. Like Nicodemus, when, when Jesus first said that a person will be born again, Nicodemus is like, I don't think I can go back into my mom, you know. Sorry, Jesus, you got something wrong there. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus. We're talking about spiritual, being born of God spiritually, And uh, Nicodemus, oh, okay. And what Jesus is saying is that when someone puts their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes into them. And it's like they have the power of a tractor to do incredible feats for God. Um, You know, the, the apostles were ordinary men. But when they grabbed someone by the hand and said, rise in the name of Jesus and walk, the lame man got up and walked. And they did amazing things. They become preachers of the gospel so that the gospel went from 12 people or, or maybe a few dozen people in Jerusalem and, and within a, a decade, it, the gospel went all over the then known world. And thousands and thousands, probably millions of people were converted just because the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. <clears throat> so, Although some people still think they they need to win God's favor by doing the work, Uh, the bigger problem for the evangelical church is not that they think, oh, I I need to work for God's favor. That's not the problem for the evangelical church. The problem for the evangelical church, such as this one, is we have this idea, oh, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all for me, so I'm just going to sit back and relax. That's the bigger problem for our church, and that's the thing we need to be afraid of, because we have our theology right. We believe that we Christ died for us, and that we therefore have free access to heaven. Um, and sometimes we get so infatuated with the goodness and the, the blessings of God that we think we are like you know God's pet project. And he's just trying to make everything go perfect for us. You know, like, oh, no, sickness, never in need, never never have any problems in our life. And that's the kind of idea that we have. And it's simply not true. In fact, there's a lot of preachers out there that are preaching that we can be prosperous financially and prosperous in every way. And it's simply not what Jesus promised. In fact, Jesus said, foxes have holes. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he kind of gave that as a pattern of what it's often going to be like as a Christian. Now, certainly God wants to bless his children, certainly, absolutely. But sometimes I've seen preachers where that seems to be the only message. And there's never any message about getting down and, and working with God and, and, and going through the difficult things and, and struggling and, and all those things it's all oh god's gonna bless you god's gonna yeah god god has blessed us and that's the thing about the book of ephesians is we get to really look at what blessings what prosperity is god talking about he's talking about our souls he's not talking about wealth and health he's talking about our souls being wealthy and healthy, and our souls being on fire for God, and our our eternal destiny in heaven that 's what he 's talking about, and so it 's a whole different idea and so we need to wrap our heads around that um, you know some so it's kind of like you know us evangelicals we're kind of like, "Wow, we got a brand new tractor four wheel drive." Quad wheels on it or eight wheels on the thing, huge Roto-Teller. it's beautiful, shiny paint job, and it's parked in our driveway. And we tell all our friends, come and see my new tractor, isn't it awesome? And we're all excited about our faith. But it just sits there. It doesn't do anything. We're not actually using it. God has given us all these blessings in Christ so that we would get out there and use what he's given us for his glory. That's the whole point. Let me show you a key verse in Ephesians. In fact, I think probably many of you have this verse memorized. It's a key verse. Um, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. How how many of you would say you got that memorized? Let me see your hands. Okay, so nearly half of you, okay? So how many of you know the next verse? Okay. Whoa, a lot less hands. Okay. Okay, somebody quote it for me. Verse 10. That's it. Very good. Okay. So all of us are good evangelicals. We know verse 8 and verse 9 because it, it's really the core of the gospel, right? That, those verses. They, they say that, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's by grace we've been saved. It's not, it's not about working. And so we got, that, we got those verses memorized down pat. But look at verse 10. Next verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Uh, I don't really like that verse so much. You see the problem? You see, we've been saved for a purpose. And it's to do good works. It's God has prepared the works ahead of time so that we could do them. So just like my dad had prepared the he had bought 50 acres so that I could sit on a tractor and rototill till it and plant corn and grow stuff. God has given us an area of ministry that he's expecting us to work, an area of responsibility. And he's prepared it all ahead of time, and he's equipped us to do that job. In fact, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit has given gifts to each one just as he determines. And so everyone in this room has been given gifts. If you're a believer, you've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit for the good of the others in this room and for the good of people in the world. And God has given you those things so that you can work them, so you can till the land, as it were. And so these verses need to be together. We evangelicals like to separate them. Oh, God's gracious and he loves us and he did all these wonderful things for us. And we forget he did it so that we would do good works, that he's prepared, set up. So this is a key verse in Ephesians and it runs through the whole book, this, this idea that God has blessed us and that God wants us to do ministry on his behalf. <clears throat> Our wealth in Christ is grace. Salvation, a gift from God, that's what's in verses, can we go back a verse? By grace, saved, Uh, it's it's a gift from God, not by works. So these are the things that we we say God has done for us. But then the second part, next verse, um, is that to walk in Christ is actually doing good works. And God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's, I'm just going to overview today the, um, the things that, that God talks about in the, the first three chapters. I'm going to just go over it really quickly. Just give you a, a, a quick brush strokes of what God calls us to do or what God has blessed us with. In the first chapter, in the first half of it, he pours out praise to God uh, for all the blessings that we have in Christ are all of our spiritual possessions he says you know what you own all these things and so he says that god chooses us and that he predestined us to salvation and he he brought his redemption for us and his revelation to us uh, the revelation of his mysterious will and uh, our inheritance that we have in him what's our inheritance eternal life yeah it's our inheritance. And then he says, he gave us a guarantee, a deposit, as it were, to guarantee our eternal life. And you know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you notice about all these things? That's very interesting. Every phrase up there, and if you look in the first chapter of Ephesians, you'll notice every, every sentence almost has both something to say about God and something to say about us. You see, these are our possessions, but God is the giver. And if you look, there's the pronouns for God are, are just scattered all throughout that whole passage. Um, anyways, that's going to be next week's sermon. I decided to, to not get into pre, uh, predestination today because I thought it was too big a subject. I'm just going to introduce Ephesians today. Um, and then the second half, half of the first chapter is his prayer for uh, s- spiritual... Perception, yeah. Uh, I had it spelt wrong here, so I was trying to figure out what it said. <laughs> so uh, our spirit, prayer for our, our prayer, spiritual perception, you see, it's not, he, he, he realizes if he makes a big long list, how many of you remember what was on that list that was up there a second ago? <laughs> yeah, not really. Because that's the way we're, we are. We just kind of, like, oh, okay, that's nice. Thanks for telling me. But it doesn't connect with us. And so Paul, he says, he's on his knees constantly praying so that our eyes and our ears will be open, so that we might understand what God has given us. It's not enough just to tell us we need to experience what God has given us. Because when we experience the power of God in our life, when we experience the new birth in our life, when we experience the Holy Spirit in our life, when we recognize that it's the deposit guaranteeing our future, when we experience all of these things, we will be changed. This is the verse he says uh, in verse 17 and 18 chapter 1. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So Paul is saying, I, I'm praying for you guys that you would be wise, that you would understand things. And that God would reveal himself to you. And that's my prayer for you, Eastgate I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and of understanding and revelation so that you might know him better. See, it all starts there. It all starts with knowing God better. And we need a spiritual encounter to do that. It's not just enough to just go, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know with... Uh, Steve was up here a few minutes ago saying, you know, he had looked at the, at, the, at the information about Christ. At first he had rejected it, then he accepted it. But you know what? He needed an encounter with God as well. And we all need an encounter with God to say this is real. And uh, he, he, when he was baptized just last week, he was saying, you know, he kept coming into the room and then he started, started crying. <laughs> what is that? You know, it's an encounter with God. God was here, and he kept encountering God, and it was like getting him all emotional. He didn't know what was going on. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I love that. What a, what a picture. The eyes of your heart be enlightened. And he goes on to explain, and he explains about all the different things that he wants us to be enlightened about. And so what we realize from this is that it's not just enough to give the information, we have to experience what God is. And so a Christian needs to experience the, the filling of the Spirit, needs to experience the, the um, rebirth of the Spirit. That's not something someone else can do for you. It's not done in a, a laboratory. It's done in, in, well, I guess the laboratory of life. So then in chapter 2, he sets forth how, how God changes us from sinful people to people saved by grace. And in the first half, that's in the first half. And then in the second half, he he talks about how we're reconciled to God and we're being built into a temple. And so the the great privilege of that. And then the third chapter, he again describes our, our blessings and the fact that God has revealed his great plan of salvation to us. In fact, Paul is kind of marveling. He's like, I can't believe this, folks. There's been this mystery since the beginning of time. And ever since the beginning of time, God didn't reveal exactly what was going to happen. But today, now he's revealing and Paul was sort of like first generation, right? Nobody before Paul knew that Jesus was going to come and die on a cross to pay for the sins of the world. There were allusions to it all throughout the Old Testament, certainly prophecies about it, but nobody really knew. And Paul is like, wow, this is so awesome that we have the privilege of knowing God's plan of salvation. Isn't it amazing? And so and he's very excited. And then, uh, At the end of the chapter, he appeals to God to help the Ephesians really grasp the truths that he's sharing. And again, he he does the same similar prayer of saying, I don't want it just to be me telling you about it. I want you to experience it. So I'm going to pray for you and ask that God would help you experience it. And he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, it's interesting that Paul is praying this prayer for them to know God's love. But the Ephesian church is the one that's singled out by John in the book of Revelation, and they're singled out as a group that had lost their first love of God. It seems like that connection with God was lost. And Paul is pointing it out. There must have been some early warning signs, or God, maybe just directing Paul, realized that this was going to be a problem for the Ephesians church, that they were going to lose their first love. And so he's writing to them right away that they would understand how much God loves them, because when you understand how much someone loves you, the natural response is to love them back. And uh, so it's very powerful. Um, and that's the first half of the book. And I'm not going to summarize the second half of the book. Well, because uh, you won't remember in three months when we get there. So uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. But the, the second half of the book kind of mirrors the first half of the book. It kind of says, okay, well, th- this is what you got in Christ. So this is what you need to do in Christ. And so we, we'll, we're going to get to that later on. Um, and of course... The, message, the, the main point of my message this morning can be summed up in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. From everyone who has given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The same kind of uh, scenario is talked about in Romans chapter 12. Um, in, in chapter 12, verse 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So not everyone is a five-bag-of-gold kind of Christian, you know? So just because you're not, you know, a missionary to the to Zambabwe in the deep jungles somewhere preaching like crazy and getting persecuted for Christ just because you're not that guy doesn't mean that God hasn't given you something for his kingdom. And, and maybe it's, it's that you know how to run a lawnmower and you mow the lawns here. Or maybe it's that that you are, are are helpful to your neighbor and you shovel your neighbor's driveway and share the love of Christ with him. Or maybe it's that you look after kids in the nursery or or you run the soundboard or something and you're just like, well, you know, I can do this. I can do this much. And by the way, if you're handy at all, I could use lots of people who are handy <laughs> <laughs> to do little jobs around the church. <laughs> so, um Yeah, there's always something that we can do. So that might be a a talent or a bag of gold that somebody has, and but somebody else has another bag of gold. You know, I was talking with my mother, and her bag of gold is that she cares about people. And you know, I could use a dozen of her. You know, she just phones people. She has a list of people. She just phones them, and just talks with them. Says how you doing, and prays with them. And she used to have 260 people on her list and she would phone them uh she would just take you know three three hours a week and just go through the list and she would take her about three months to get through everybody and then she'd start over again wow could use a few people like that you know not real difficult but if that's your gift if you have the gift of friendliness and and caring for other people what an awesome gift um and so god gives us different gifts and if you're and so this is what the apostle says um if your gift is prophesying, well then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So if you have a gift of prophecy, then you just go ahead and prophesy over people and according to your faith. See, notice it's according to how much God has given you, what God has given you. It's not like, oh, well, if you have the gift of prophecy, prophesy with great faith. No, he says, according to the faith that's been given you. Um, and if it's serving, then serve. Serve. You know, if you if you have the gift of helps and you love setting up chairs, well, give me a call. <laughs> I'd like to schedule you in a few times uh, before every uh, you know international service. There's lots of chairs to set up, so you give me a call. I'll I'll let you serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If you have a gift of teaching, then then talk to to Michelle Schwary. He's our small groups leader, or talk to Debbie. And and you know, if if you're not not too. Uh, uh, Great! Yeah, well, you you haven't tested your teaching gift yet. We'll talk to Debbie. Teach some kids. It's the easiest thing in the world. They they kind of listen, you know. Well, most of the time they listen as long as you're interesting. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I love teaching kids. It's a hoot. Uh, if it's encouragement, then give encouragement. I mean, who can't do that? Just. Find someone who's doing some little job in the church and just say, I noticed you did a great job of cleaning the chalkboards there in the classroom. Way to go. Keep it up. You know, whatever it is. And the gift of encouragement. If, if God has given you that bag of gold, then spend it, please. Um, if it's giving, then give generously. I want to just say thank you for giving generously last year. We met our, met our budget last year. I was like, no way. That's amazing. So thank you. Uh, and, and so do that generously. And don't just give to the church. Give to the poor. Give to people. Um, and if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, nobody, ha- nobody really enjoys saying, well, I guess I better help you out because you're not doing so well. You know. No, do it cheerfully. Hey, God sent me here. What can I do for you? You know? Um, By the way, I have someone who needs a tap installed in their house. If you have that skill, come and talk to me. (laughs) I told you I had stuff for people to do. Um, So over the next few weeks, we're going to be checking into what are the great things that God has given us. And while we go through that series, I want you always to be reminded of, okay, so God has given me this gift. How can I use it? Where can I use it? What is he calling me to do? Um, and, and we'll eventually get to that part as well. And so we can revel in the moment. We can revel in knowing what Christ has done for us and what a, a great power he has given us. But let's not just leave it at reveling in the moment Let's take it one to the next step. Um, I want to just conclude with this thought. We're going to just look at the first book, uh, the first verse of Ephesians. Ephesians one, chapter one. It says this: Paul, an apostle of Jesus of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus. What do you see in that verse? You know what I see? I see what Jacques was talking about last week. That's what I see. Jacques didn't know that he was introducing the book of Ephesians last week by saying, Who are you? Or who are we? Or is that the title? Who are you? I think that's what it was. And and he was basically introducing this whole concept because that's exactly what the book of Ephesians does. It tells us who we are, and then it talks about, therefore. What we do. So, the who we are comes before the what we do. And that's very important. So, um, remember Jacques talked about um, Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon's out there, he's hiding from the Midianites, he's afraid. So he doesn't want the food, the little bit of food that he's gathered, he's gathered up a little bit of wheat, and he doesn't want the Midianites to get it. So he goes into a wine press, which is basically a hole in the ground, and he hides in there. And maybe if you were looking across the field, what you'd see is a little bit of wheat flying up out of the wine press and then falling back down. <laughs> and he's, he's uh, widowing the wheat. And, uh, and as he's doing this, an angel of the Lord comes along and says, Hail, thou great, the Lord is with you, the great warrior. And I can just imagine Gideon going, (laughs) Me? (laughs) No great warrior. And God is speaking into existence something that isn't already there. And he's calling that which is not something that is. And he's calling Gideon a great mighty warrior. Gideon probably had never fought a battle, never been in a war, never, you know, maybe he was a pacifist, I don't know. But anyways, we don't know exactly, but he was no great warrior at that moment. And yet the angel of the Lord called him a mighty warrior that God was with. And Gideon kind of goes to the the angel, he goes, well, if God is with us, then why is all this happening to us? You See, Gideon wasn't convinced that God was with him. Why? Because he was being oppressed by the Midianites. And where are all the you know what he says? Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about? He had a Bible too. He had, a, he had the book of Moses. He, he, he knew about all the great things that God did rescuing the Israelites out of out of the Egypt. And he says, Well, where are all the you know, like God's not with us? He was arguing with the angel of the Lord. Probably not a good thing to do. <laughs> but you know, and I think sometimes we are the same way. And we look at you know we, you know it snowed a foot yesterday, and I gotta go shovel that again, and and you know my my pinky's sore because you know I got something there, and I got a cold sore, and uh, rumble rumble, and and God says, oh thou holy saint, <laughs> and we're like. Who are you talking about? I'm not holy. Didn't you see what I did yesterday? You know, I was lusting after that girl in my class or whatever. I'm not holy. And God says, no, you're my saints. You're you're set apart. You're holy. Look, Look at this verse. God's holy people in Ephesus. Paul was an apostle of Christ. Why? Not by his own will, by God's choosing. And so we need to recognize what we have. Don't be going like, oh, you know, I can't get it together. I'm I'm not a very good Christian. God doesn't want to use me. No, God's going, I want to use you. I've given you gifts. In fact, Paul says, I've given you all this stuff. So this lady has gone down in history as America's greatest miser. She died in 1916. 1916. Hedy Green had an estimated value of $100 million. In 1916. (laughs) That was a lot of money. Not just a millionaire, 100 times over. She ate cold oatmeal because it cost money to heat it. Her son had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic that his case became incurable. Ay, She was wealthy, but she lived like a pauper. Was she eccentric? Certainly. Crazy? Perhaps. But they couldn't find anything really wrong with her. Nobody could prove that she was crazy. She was so foolish that she hastened her own death by bringing on an attack of apoplexy while arguing about the value of drinking skimmed milk. (laughs) But you know what? Hetty Green is an illustration of Christians today. We have so many resources in Christ. And yet we live like we're paupers. We live like, like we don't really realize what we have. We don't realize that we're saints of the Most High God with a calling to go out into the world and share the gospel and, and bring, the, bring in the kingdom. We're heralds for the kingdom. So let's not live like paupers as if we don't have anything. And so I invite you to come back for the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at all the great things we have.